Welcome to the Kind of Vultures podcast. This is Peter Zalewski. This is episode number 47 in our podcast series, which began back in April. This is also our Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. It's a, basically, it's a discussion by four former or current journalists. We kick around some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week to help you, the listener, understand and get some uh, idea as to uh, what are the big stories that could be impacting uh, the real estate industry, whether you're a professional who's making money in the industry and or you're an investor who owns property in South Florida and or you're looking to purchase property in South Florida. So um, during this podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, have four segments. First segment, uh, first two segments, we're going to discuss stories. Some of the stories we're discussing this week are about a college football head coach out of Tallahassee, Florida, coming down with the COVID. And as a result, he's not going to be able to coach uh, this weekend's game against the Miami Hurricanes. We're also going to talk, too, about... Um, Middle class, upper middle class individuals who are suddenly getting jammed up as a result of COVID and as a result of the slowdown in the workplace. People who had everything going for them and then lo and behold, as a result of COVID, they shut down the economy. Now suddenly these people are on the brink of disaster. We'll also talk too about how much money was lost uh, to landlords who weren't able to collect in the first uh, three months of the pandemic. And, um, and finally, we're going to talk about this concept of maybe taking a hotel. Everybody knows how hotels are struggling to kind of get by right now because nobody wants to travel. Everybody's staying at home. You have uh, stay-at-home orders in place. Uh, international travel has uh, been relatively limited. What are some individuals looking at in terms of an opportunity to go ahead and maybe buy a struggling hotel and uh, reposition it for some success? So we'll discuss that the first two segments. We're also going to discuss another segment. I'm going to ask all of the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. I'll ask them to go ahead and, um, you know, based on everything they know, their institutional knowledge, their understanding of South Florida, maybe something that you can anticipate coming down the pike. And then finally, in uh, segment number four, we're going to take uh, and discuss some comments we've gotten in from uh, you, the listener. If you want to reach out to us, please feel free to send us an email at inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. And also, too, if you are not yet a subscriber to the podcast and you like what we're doing, go ahead and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast. And, uh, two, we would appreciate if you can give us a rating. Uh, the more ratings we get, um, the more people we're ultimately going to be able to reach because we'll get a little bit more play, if you will. So, all that being said, I want you to fasten that seatbelt. I want you to lean back and get ready to enjoy the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of Greater Downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. This is Peter Zalewski. This is Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. This is a discussion by current and former journalists kicking around some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. We do four segments. First two segments are dedicated to stories, three stories per segment. Uh, segment number three, we're going to go ahead and ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. And then finally, the fourth segment will be a, a time for uh, us to discuss some comments that have come in. If anybody wants to send us a comment, please send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Who do I have on this particular podcast? I have John Fackler. John used to write about white collar crime. He also wrote about publicly traded companies based in South Florida. Right now, he's a private consultant. What's going on, John? 
Good evening, my merry band of brothers. <laughs> Boy, you're real <laughs> happy today. What the hell's up with you? I think I'm, I've am i been sipping what uh, Oscar's sipping. Oh, wow. You guys uh, all drinking uh, the positive Kool-Aid. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I have, I have Jean Grusa. Uh, Jean used to be a journalist uh, for 25 years or so uh, all over the state of Florida. I moved to Miami a few years back. Right now he runs a public relations marketing firm called Grusa Communications. What's going on, Jean? Ah, great, great to be with you again on this unauthorized podcast. <laughs> unauthorized, absolutely. You, right. you know that. Uh, I've, I've heard some feedback, and Oscar has as well, so not everybody likes what we're doing, but, uh, you know, fuck them. Um, and then finally, <laughs> finally making his last permanent appearance, and it, 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 it saddens me to say, I got Oscar Musabai. Oscar used to write about real estate uh, for a whole variety of publications down here in South Florida, including the South Florida Business Journal. Uh, right now, he uh, he was working for a public relations marketing firm as a partner called Influence Communications, but now he's taking on a new gig. Say it ain't so, Oscar. What's going on? <laughs> All I'm going to say, wink, wink, is that someone may have pushed me out because I'm too controversial. I think that's what's going on. <laughs> Oscar, Oscar is going to be a regular contributor going forward. He's one of the founders of this entire podcast series. We kicked that around for a number of years over yes. and over and over. And right when we were yeah. approaching episode number 50, he pulls the freaking ripcord on us. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. I got a golden parachute. Truth be told, Oscar Oscar has a full-time gig. He's going to be going on. We're concerned about a conflict of interest uh, just because somebody might say something that could uh, be problematic for him in his full-time position. And um, uh, but 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 Oscar, you you are going to appear potentially on a rotating basis, or you'll be like a fill-in if necessary. Okay. Exactly. Yes. At your at your back. Uh, you beckon me, I will come. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about your new gig, or are you just going to let people uh, Google it? <laughs> Let's go. Dolly, Fair enough. Dolly. John, you, John, you were also a founder um, of the podcast. Um, uh, it was the, the, the three of us. Uh, you, you have anything to say to Oscar uh, now? Uh, just a, good luck. Uh, we're going to miss him. Uh, Got a certain amount of chemistry there, that uh, but I'm sure we'll we'll do okay. Yeah, chemistry. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like baking soda and vinegar. Very good chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> Very but but That's but it. but the good That's news it. is, uh, we're gonna have Jean uh, step in yes. and be our the the third leg uh, effectively of the stool. So uh, Jean, um, we're we're glad that you can join us. We know you're gonna offer a lot of insight. You're gonna offer a lot of perspective. And hopefully uh, you can ruffle John's feathers a little bit just to sort of keep it interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Great to be with you. Great, 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 great. Fantastic, guys. So um, uh, uh, as I like to start, um, I like to talk COVID numbers. Anybody listen to the previous podcast where we had the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable? We talked about numbers and we talked about whether or not uh, the numbers which were looking more positive in terms of COVID testing were the result of fewer tests being done. Uh, I promise you that I would take a look and see if I could find any articles. I was not able to find any articles other than the one that uh, Oscar had mentioned, which was an opinion piece that ran out of Orlando at the beginning of September. So um, just want to let anybody know if you guys do, if somebody does find an article uh, that, that suggests or says uh, not necessarily opinion piece, but something reported by uh, traditional media, 
uh, please send it to us at inquiry at We'll go ahead and discuss it. But that being said, guys, let me let me tell you what the Florida numbers are um, in terms of COVID. This is coming from the Florida Department of Health, the COVID-19 dashboard. And generally speaking, the numbers are going to be percentage wise, they're going to be flat um, somewhat, somewhat, somewhat. So so let me tell you what we got. As of today, the 21st of September, we got 685,000 cases with uh, 685,439 cases, 685,439. In the Tri-County, South Florida area, which is Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County, 286,264 cases. So that represents about just under 42% of all cases confirmed in the uh, the state of Florida are going to be coming from Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties. Um, in terms of the number of deaths, uh, Florida-wide, 13,317 Florida residents have died of which 5,654 uh, were located in South Florida, which is Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties, representing about 42.5%. So that's kind of the big picture. Let me tell you what's going on county by county. In Dade County, we're just under 166,100 cases. Broward County's got 75,000, just under 200 cases, 75,200. And Palm Beach County is 45,000 cases. Um, in terms of percentages, Dade's going to represent 24.3% of all cases in Florida. Broward will be 11.0% cases in Florida. And Palm Beach County is 6.6% of the cases. Now, on the death side, again, 13,317 people died in Florida, of which 5,654 have been in South Florida. And that breaks down with a 3,055 in Dade, 1,322 in Broward, 1,277 in Palm Beach. Percentage-wise, 23% of all deaths that have occurred in Florida from COVID have been in Dade, Miami-Dade County, 10% in Broward, 9.6 in Palm Beach County. Gentlemen, any, any comments about that before we get into our first story? Anybody want to mention anything? Okay. Hearing none, let's go on with our first story. John, we're going to go with you with our first story. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. Uh, this is coming out of uh, NBC6 South Florida. It's effectively the NBC affiliate down here. Headline, FSU head coach test positive for COVID-19 will not coach versus Miami. Anybody who doesn't know, Florida State and Miami have a big rivalry. There's a game plan this Saturday down here in Miami. And it turns out the head coach of Florida State, um, he's got COVID. He's not going to be here. John, what say you? Yeah, I'm not. Peter likes to insinuate that I'm FSU fan. I'm actually a Canes fan. but You're not a Canes fan. You haven't been a Canes <laughs> fan since... I was shocked when I heard that. I actually had heard it a couple of days ago. Uh, actually, when it happened, it was a bulletin on TV. And um, I was like, wow, that's that's amazing that, you know, I'm so, you know, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen to other coaches, but, you know, front office people, uh, players, but the head coach, that's just shocking. And um, FSU's uh, got a struggle coming up this season. They, they're on the upswing shall we say as far as their record <laughs> the last thing they needed was to have to replace their coach I, I oscar do you see and, and everybody knows sean doesn't really care for football um I, I oscar do you see any symbolism in the fact that florida state university which is based in tallahassee which is the capital of florida which is where governor ron DeSantis uh is located you see any symbolism or any kind of irony or or whatever in the fact that the, the university out of Tallahassee where governor DeSantis is based, the head coach gets COVID. You see anything? Now that you say it, yes. But uh, I mean, it could have been sure. UM 
if it was UM, I think it would be a bigger deal because UM has a much higher profile in the state. <laughs> All the FSU fans We're not talking about that. Oh, yeah. It's true. They have a higher profile regardless of how their record worked out last year. And, uh, I mean, the fact that it was the coach and not the players, I think, is actually a better result, you know, if, if you could call it that. Because if it would have been the players, then that means that the people on the field who are, who are slamming into each other and sweating all over each other and spitting and everything else that goes on on a football field are more likely to get sick. But the fact that it was the coach and not the players yet, I think, is actually a good indicator that they're able to control the activities on the field so that it isn't jeopardizing. Yeah. Now, the and Oscar, just to follow up on that before we go to uh, Jean for our second story, um, uh, the Mi- University of Miami Florida State game, which we played this Saturday, it's, as I mentioned, it's going to be down in Miami. It's going to get national attention in terms of television. Um, yep. What is this going to do from a marketing perspective in terms of saying, oh my gosh, Florida still not you, you can't go visit there because the damn head coach of Florida State University he's got the he's got the COVID, or do you think people are just not going to care uh, about coming to visit Florida in terms of in other words is Florida open or is it not open and people watching the game they're going to be scratching their head saying well what do we do if we want to go down there? No, nope. I don't think it's a problem at all. I think that the the genie is out of the bottle in terms of football. I don't I don't see it being shut down or being an intimidating factor that there's a coach that that got uh covid and it's just going to continue rolling well speaking about rolling uh jean we're going to go to you this is coming from cnbc headline more restrictions expected in europe as coronavirus spreads rapidly and rattles markets here's the two key points out of cnbc european countries are likely to impose more restrictions on public life in the coming days analysts said France reported just under 10,600 new cases Sunday, while the UK reported almost 4,000 new cases. Italy saw close to 1,000 new infections. Germany reported 1,345 on Sunday and further and uh, further 922 cases on Monday. Uh, John, uh, I guess my question to you is, two, is two-pronged. One, I thought Europe had it under control and Germany was being uh, pointed out as like this uh, fantastic situation. And two... Uh, South Florida is dependent upon European visitors and we're getting close to that winter uh, time. So what do you make of these steps being taken over in Europe, according to the CNBC story? Yeah, I mean, I I, I just saw the news uh, just a few minutes ago that Boris Johnson in the UK has announced he's going to close all bars, restaurants uh, and and pubs uh, starting, I don't know, tonight, tomorrow night. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad. Um, and maybe it's a preview of what's coming here, you know. Um, but uh, I, I know that I have some Italian friends that are traveling back uh, now to South Florida. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I think like uh, Europeans uh, let their guard down over the summer. They all went on vacation, their traditional vacation time. Which is all August. Good point. Mixed, yeah, mixed and mingled, congregated. And, and there you go. You know, that's the result. And. Uh, they have a much more centralized, you know, each country is, is much more centralized government. And otherwise they can they can order shutdowns. Uh, I mean, look at Israel. They just ordered shutdown for two weeks. Right. So over the religious I mean, holiday. Oh, on top of that. Yeah. yeah. So but I mean, they have a much more you know centralized form of government where they can actually, 
you know, order that, uh, that that's, that would be pretty hard to do here, I think, but yeah, well, yeah. And, and John, just another point related to that. So, so here we are at the end of September, the weather's starting to change the leaves, all that type of stuff. Europeans traditionally, you know, the Italians, the French, the Germans, they like to get on yeah. the Brits. They like to get on planes and come over here. Um, Art Basel has already been canceled in December, which apparently looks like a good move. But I, I'm just wondering, um, uh, you know, if, if you're somebody in a tourism based uh, business, whether it be a restaurant, a hotel, anything like that, what are you banking on? Because we all know what's going on in Latin America. And now, and now you have this, does that just mean this winter season is also going to be a wash kind of like last winter season? Well, I don't know. You may get some Europeans that are fed up with, uh, with the shutdowns in Europe and come over here, you know, I mean, there's, uh, there's always that possibility. And I, I saw that uh, European airlines have started uh, resuming flights to Miami. Uh-huh. Uh, so, I mean, we are, we are getting some, renewed additional traffic back that we lost um you know in the spring so i i it will be uh it will be a lot a lot less than than you know last year same time last year but i think we're going to get some europeans back interesting um and and, and john um uh do, do, do you have any anything you want to add about the europeans and uh how they're getting shut down again and what impact that could mean for south florida no, I tend to agree with uh, Jean on that. Um, I think we're starting to see an uptick again in the numbers from when they go week versus week, week over week. The numbers are up again, both in the number of cases as well as the deaths. Um, so you're starting to see an uptick, which is probably related to the um, Labor Day holidays. Mm-hmm. So that may be a situation that's only starting to rear its ugly head now. So yep. I think if you look real closely over the next week or so, we're going to know really if we're starting to see an upswing here as well, similar yeah. to what's going on in Europe. Yeah. Um, I, Oscar, I want to go over to you at story number three. It's coming out of the Wall Street Journal. Um, headline is no job, loads of debt. COVID upends middle class family finances. And let, let, let me read you the first couple of graphs because I think it really encapsulates what's going on for a lot of people around the United States. Um, and here's a leap. Until mid-March, Elisa Hopkins earned a comfortable living in Rockland County, New York, representing clients in foreclosure cases and personal injury lawsuits. In a good year, the 43-year-old lawyer and her husband, who is 41, together, they brought in about $175,000. The couple said enough to cover the mortgage, two-car leases, student loans, credit cards, uh, assorted costs of raising two daughters in New York City suburbs. After the coronavirus halted many foreclosures in court cases, her work dried up. Unemployment benefits was help, but Ms. Hopkins said, but the... Um, Ms. Hopkins said the unemployment has helped the benefits, but the family's running low on savings and can't keep up with the $9,000 a month in monthly uh, debt payments, including mortgage installations. It frustrates me to not be able to earn a living, she says. I have a law degree, almost 20 years of practice. Oscar, this to me sounds like it's probably pretty typical of a lot of people out there who are jammed up. You know, they were doing everything right. They were making money. They were making their investments. They're sending, you know, paying for their children. Um, and lo and behold, everything just goes sideways and they don't know how the hell to get to get out of it. So there's a, de- a data point in the story that I think is really important. It says that American families with a non-housing debt making over 98000 a year in pre-tax income owed an average of nearly 92000 yep. of such debt. In 2016, that's up 32% from 2004. So it's not a surprise that uh, not only the lower income population, but also the middle class is, is taking a huge hit because uh, the jobs are hard to keep. And in this environment, nobody's making any money. So um, it's not a surprise. Yeah. 
Well, and, and I just wonder, Oscar, I mean, a lot of people, uh, obviously the forbearance numbers aren't what many thought they would be. People thought they would be much higher. But, but that being said, uh, people also thought that the COVID was going to be under control much sooner than it really is. And now you have Dr. Fauci, uh, and we talked about it last week, you got Dr. Fauci coming out saying it's probably not going to be the 2021 and the 2021 who we have some sort of normalcy. So, so somebody who was thinking this is short term, now suddenly it turns long term. What the hell do you do to kind of, you know, to, 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 to kind of keep everything in the air? I mean, the, some, there are some indications that things are being pushed to accelerate to open. So you have schools now. There was a story today that Miami-Dade schools might have kids back in, in the classrooms by the first week of October. Wow, which is like two weeks from now. Yeah. So there are us also other people that are going back to restaurant jobs. There's more activity, as I've said in the past, on sidewalks, in some streets, if they've closed off the street. There's a push. Some talk of reopening the uh, the movie houses. So they're in Florida, they're pushing really hard to accelerate the reopening. Whether people are going to follow through, I think they are going to because on Facebook, I'm seeing people celebrate going out again and they're toasting, you know, a glass of wine and drinks to the fact that this is the first time in months that they've been out. So people are responding in kind to the push to accelerate reopening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, you you were about business in Florida for 25 plus years. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you remember the Great Recession. You remember the real estate uh, uh, market crashing, yeah. you know, 12 years ago or so. And for Oscar to point out that 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 tidbit from the story that people's debt has jacked up. What what did you say, Oscar? 33 percent, 36, 34 percent, 34 percent. I mean, yeah. uh, Jean, did no, people sorry, not, it's, it's 32, 32. Jean, did, no. did, did people not learn from last go around or is this just a whole new generation of uh, people who are a little bit naive and they got over leveraged and now, um, you know. They got to figure out what well, the hell to do. Well, this is what happens when you have easy money. I mean, easy money was a huge contributor to the um, Great Recession, and easy money is contributing to this one. I mean, people are living way above their means. Even it's shocking. Someone, a couple making one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, they're on the financial ropes. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's that's, that's, true. I... That, that's crazy. Of a like. They're they're like living way beyond their means. Now, now, so. now for the audience out there and you guys are all over the world, I'm just going to give you just a real basic way to people uh, run the numbers. So this couple's making one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars U.S. dollars and granted the dollars weaker. But uh, typically the way that you do it, you take the overall annual and you divide it by two. And that's your hourly rate. That's your hourly rate. So it gives you an idea effectively about how much cash. These people have, I think, I think, um, uh, poverty rate in Florida is like $18,000. These people are making 10 times that they're making 10 times that. And they're saying, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. John, you got any thoughts? Yeah, actually I do. Um, I, this story, the phenomenon of white collar, uh, workers. Yep. Um, is widely underreported. You okay. see Everything you see about is talking about the blue collar restaurant workers, you know, a lot of statistics about minorities being hit. But um, this is really underreported. I happen to know someone in the same county, Westchester County in New York. That's where Rockland is. 
who lost their job as a um, high-powered lawyer back in March and has not been able to get a job. And wow. uh, when you're looking at, by the way, 175 a year is not a lot for Westchester County. It's one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest county in the entire country. But that said, could you imagine your burn rate and not being able to pill, unless you're invested in the stock market, if you got some excess cash laying around, you're hurting. And um, I think you're going to start to see the, the you know, this uh, play out uh, in, in the next few months that it's actually going to get much worse. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. And, and by the way, let me just correct what I said. I said, I said, you take the 175 and you divide it by two. I meant 2000. So take the 175,000 divided by 2000. You're coming up with close to, uh, what is that? 90, 88 bucks an, an hour here. I'll do it real quick. 175 divided by 2000. And you're going to come up with 87.50 an hour. That's how much the couple is making. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, forever that's worth, I mean, we're talking about in certain countries, uh, you know, people are living on far less, far less. And granted, yeah. Western Europe's not like that. Canada's not like that. But there are places around the world. I mean, I remember going to Thailand. And you drop a dollar for for a big bowl of uh, pad thai and and a huge bear, and that was like a dollar. So just imagine what you could do on eighty seven fifty an hour. So um, that being said, guys, let's go ahead. And let's take our first commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're gonna get into the next three articles. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a condo vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit CondoVultures.Eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. This is Peter Zalewski. This is the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. Uh, I got four uh, current and former journalists kicking around some of the biggest headlines that have occurred uh, within the last week. Uh, we talked about the first three uh, uh, articles. Now we're going to talk about the next three. And uh, Jean, I want to go to you with this. This is coming out of the real deal up in New York. And the headline, landlords, landlords lost about $9 billion in rental payments last quarter, according to a report. And here's the first couple of graphs. Almost 11 million households were behind on rent or mortgage payments during the first three months of the pandemic. Nearly 6 million of those households were renters who were reportedly either missing, uh, delaying, or paying reduced rent during the second quarter of the year. According to a report from the Mortgage Bankers Association, just over 5 million households were homeowners that missed or deferred at least one mortgage payment. The effect on multifamily property owners and mortgage lenders was in the billions, a report found. Unpaid rent costs landlords about $9.1 billion in revenue, while missed mortgage payments totaled an estimated $16.3 billion. Um, John, any comments? Well, I mean, that's what happens when you impose a moratorium, right, on evictions. I mean, you've, you've taken away the landlord's um, uh, any, any leverage that the landlord might have. So, you know, what the, what the hell? May as well squat, squat where I am, right? <laughs> There you go. And, and listen, last week, my prediction was one of the comments, one of the phrases we were going to hear going forward was going to be um, strategic default. Kind of makes you wonder, guys, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, John, what do you say about that? Nine billion dollars uh, landlords didn't were not able to collect. And uh, we're, we're, we're in the early phases of this pandemic. That, that report is only for the first three months of the pandemic beginning in March. Absolutely. I think that number is going to double or triple in the next few months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. 
Um, Oscar, let's go to you at story number five. And this is, uh, again, $9 billion was unpaid. That was the previous story. This story is coming out of the Miami Herald. Headline, two new towers are planned for Edgewater. They're bigger than you'd expect. Here's the lead real estate expert predicted residential projects would be smaller and less dense after emergence of COVID-19. But two projects in Edgewater are bucking that trend on deck uh, for the city of Miami's urban development review board are an 18 story rental building planned for 27th uh, street and Northeast second Avenue and a 36 story residential tower at Northeast 18th street and Northeast fourth Avenue. The projects were set for review on Friday. Um, Oscar, I thought people don't want to live vertical. That's why they're going in the houses. And I, and I thought the rental market was very tough because $9 billion was just uh, uncollected by landlords. Um, how do you make sense of this? There are anomalies in the market. There always are. And rentals as a long-term investment are a very good bet because you could always convert them to condominiums down the road. So I think these are long-view players who see that Florida continues to grow no matter what. And the numbers indicate that in places like Orlando, Miami, Growth is strong, so they're betting that after there's a vaccine, that they're going to be there's going to be demand for a lot more rentals, and potentially maybe they're going to convert them to condominiums. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Jean, you you live in a condo yeah. right now. You're you're off of Brickle. Yeah. Um. Uh. Your your high density. Your your complex is what eight hundred yeah. units between two buildings. Um, what say you? How do you like living in a condo? And do you believe in this idea that everybody's going horizontal into a single family because they're afraid of the COVID? I I mean, look, just because they filed uh, for plan review and permitting doesn't mean they're actually going to build it. Um, So, I mean, they could just be, uh, you know, using that as a, as a way to sell the land or, you know, I mean, we may not see these buildings for another five or 10 years, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, so I, you know, I'm very leery of these stories about, um, you know, that they're, they're submitting plans and they got renderings and, you know, it's going to be great. You know, um, uh, I think we have to wait and see until the dirt actually moves, you know, especially Edgewater where I used to live. It's overbuilt. I mean, does, does it say who the developer is, Peter? Uh, yeah, yeah. There are two, uh, two different developers, none of which are, um, um, uh, experienced veteran. Well, no, let me rephrase it. None of which are veteran developers. Okay. Okay. In South Florida, one of them, one of the groups out of Lima, Peru. Okay. <laughs> they could yeah, be flippers. I, they could be flippers. You know. They and oh, and the other one is out of the other one's out of Tampa. Oh, right. interesting. Because yeah, I don't so, think you you're going to see the usual spe- uh, suspects uh, building anything anytime soon. When I say usual suspects, I mean the developers who have already overrun. Edgewater, which is insane right now. Yeah. Well, well, and, 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 you know, you guys raise a good point in that land typically during a downturn, it loses all value because you can't do anything with it. There's only so many windward yards uh, or the wharfs you can set up with vacant land where you bring in some roach coaches or food trucks. You sell some food and you try to do things. <laughs> um, but, but there's no way to generate revenue. I guess you could set up like a drive-in because the drive-ins are the big thing now under COVID. So typically land loses a lot of value. So uh, much like Sean says, maybe if you get it entitled, you might have an ability to try to reposition it and sell somebody a dream that coming out of COVID, 
uh, you know, this is the perfect site because you can basically put a shovel in the ground pretty quickly as soon as it's time to build. So, yeah, and there's, very there's good no point. retail in Edgewater. I, we used to have to go to Midtown to hang out and go. I mean, I don't know what's going on there. It's just everything's going vertical. Yeah. Just rentals and condos, mostly rentals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and John, I want to go to you with story number six. This story is coming okay. out of the South Florida Business Journal. And this is about repositioning hotels. Now, we all know what's happened with COVID. We all know what's happened with tourism. We all know what's happening with travel. So this comes out of the South Florida Business Journal. And this is written by Brian Bandel. Brian's one of our panelists, um, rotating panelists. Headline, John, is EIG aims to convert shuttered Ramada Inn in Hialeah into apartments. And um, the project <laughs> would include retail and restaurant space. Um, and there is an angle where it could, some of it could be uh, associated with senior living. So, so John, is this, uh, could this make sense? Because uh, if you're a hotel, you're, you know, what are you doing to keep your head uh, above water now that the PPP money is pretty much run out? I don't know. It's possible. I mean, how close is it to the racetrack? Maybe they're going to try to leverage <laughs> the racetrack and, and, myself, the casinos, but... and the casinos and the casino. I still have my casino car for Hialeah. I might uh, take it up myself, but um, no, I mean, maybe it's just another example of a, a westward play, um, but don't know. Don't really know what else besides that. I don't see it as a trend. Okay. And, uh, and ask her what, what, what say you, um, uh, could some of these hotels, maybe if they fall on hard times, could these potentially be, uh, apartments, short-term apartments or even senior housing? Well, the senior or older adult population is growing and there are a lot of issues with, uh, controlling the COVID spread inside of facilities like that where there are a lot of seniors living together unfortunately mm -hmm. and i don't know what their strategy is if they were smart they would create an environment that would allow for a lot more control in how um the seniors are able the the older adults are able to to live and if so they can create a whole new niche that could be very in, in very high demand in the marketplace, but that would be a great idea, actually. Yeah. I don't know what their strategy is, but maybe they, this is a response to the kind of of uh, adaptation that some real estate visionaries uh, apply to changes in the market. So it could be also that they're going to create a kind of little bubble for the older adults that are, that might live there because that makes it easier for them to get resources, you know, whether it's food, they go to a restaurant, it's all enclosed and they uh, can manage some of the potential vulnerabilities that are caused by things like COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. And John, you want to, you want yeah, to, yeah, I, th I think it's very location specific because it's very costly to convert a hotel into condos. And um, so there, there's got to be some demand for that there. Maybe there's uh, less, you know, less of this type of housing than, than, you know, they need more of that kind of housing in that specific area. But I don't see like, you know, all these hotels all over the place converting into residential units. But, but, but couldn't it possibly be a workaround because everybody's always talking about workforce housing? 
Well, in certain locations, yeah, like Hialeah, for example, I mean, mm-hmm. where it's probably really needed, you know. Yeah, but yeah, 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 but, yeah. Not, but not like Miami Beach or you know, or you know, even in town somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, all right, fair enough, guys. That's um, uh, that's all six of our articles. Uh, let's go ahead and let's take a commercial break. On the other side, I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and make a prediction. You listen to the Kind of Vultures podcast. Hi, this is Oscar Musabai from Influence Communications. In this age of coronavirus, nothing is more important than keeping your current customers and attracting new ones. And at Influence Communications, we are expert at reaching out to the media and letting them know that your business is open and the services that you provide. And our expertise is in adaptation, helping businesses change their messaging on a regular basis to make sure that they are keeping up with what is happening and what the market is demanding. And we also specialize in reaching out to Spanish language media to get your story out. So please call me, Oscar Musabai, 786-348-9257. That's 786-348-9257. 786-348-9257. Thank you. Welcome back to the Kind of Vultures Podcast. This is Peter Zaluski. I got Oscar Musabai. I have John Bruce and I have John Fackler. We were discussing some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. Now I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and make a prediction. Oscar, since you're the man of the day, the man of the match, if you will, uh, why don't you start? Give us a prediction. Well, my prediction is that this podcast will continue to grow in popularity. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that the kids that the schools will be open by the first week in October and that you'll see a very strong response in sending kids to school. Uh, I saw in a Herald story today that uh, while there was a very strong push against sending kids early on in, in the school year that now more than 50% are now supporting sending kids into the classroom again. So, you know, it's a combination, I believe of, parents' frustration with the online experience. I mean, it got so bad that they fired the company that had been brought in to uh, create the online experience for the kids and the teachers. So I think that they that a lot of parents will be sending their kids back, probably even me. I mean, because even though I have some concerns, mm-hmm. the experience from for my little son in particular, he's lost complete touch with his friends. You know, the day is filled with basically half a day of school and it's, it's not the teacher's fault. It's just that it's, it's not as easy as just turning on your computer and having a class. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. So I think a lot, there's going to be a very strong response to send back kids into the classroom. Okay. Um, John, what, uh, what say you, why don't you give us a prediction? All right. My prediction is a sort of dovetails into what, what we were talking about, but, um, you know, I, my prediction is that there will be no federal stimulus deal no! after the election because the death of Supreme court justice Ginsburg pretty much sucked all the air out of any deal. And I think that's really bad news for real estate because people are not going to have the money to pay rent, their mortgage, uh, and landlords are going to suffer. Um, so that's my prediction. Wow. 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 
Wow. <laughs> John, what's it? What, what, what's it? <laughs> you give us some good news. Come on. Well, unfortunately, mine's uh, not so good. <laughs> um, mine actually uh, dovetails off of John's. Okay. Man, okay. everybody's um, piling on. Yeah, if, if anybody doesn't realize it, because it was, again, underreported and sort of snuck out there uh, in the dead of night. But uh, Ron DeSantis decided to not to shut off the federal money. Ron for DeSantis, the, unemployed. the governor of the state of Florida. Yep. Yes. Decided to shut off the, the federal unemployment money. And um, my prediction is because people will realize they can't pay their rent, they can't pay their food bills, there'll be such an outroar of uh, opposition that he will actually somehow get his fingers on the, so the billions of dollars that are in the coffer that he's not spending. Apparently, there's money in there that he could spend if he wanted to, and I believe he'll be shamed into spending that money and, and restoring the federal uh, stimulus. Interesting. Interesting. So you, th- you think public shaming is ultimately going to force uh, DeSantis to do an about-face? Well, public shaming means it equates to votes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can guarantee he's not going to be get voted in. Yeah. So um, my prediction is going to have to do with the uh, real estate market. I think the real estate market is ready to run in 2021 if Joe Biden gets in. And uh, as president, Joe Biden's Democratic uh, nominee going up against Trump in November. If Biden gets in, uh, there was talk, and this is out of stuff I read on CNBC, uh, they're talking about if, if Joe Biden is, is elected, the top tax rate for capital gains for the highest earners is going to go from 23.8% to 39.6%. So what's happening is a lot of people are starting to think, oh, my God, should I get out of the stock market? Should I get out of the stock market? Which is, is increasingly the polls are showing that Biden, uh, you know, he's got a very good chance of beating Donald Trump in the election. I don't care one way or another. Um, it seems like people might be trying to pull their cash out. And we all know whenever there's uncertainty in the stock market, where do people put their money? If they keep it in the stock market, they tend to go into utilities uh, or possibly financials being like banks and or like, uh, you know, FP&L, something like that. Or more importantly, they go into real estate. So I can see some money that maybe is withdrawn from the real estate market based on a Biden victory, basically going into the real estate market and popping it up. Now, the question is, is are the sellers going to be unloading at a price that is makes sense, or are, are are these buyers going to be basically sitting on the sidelines waiting to buy on the distrust side? So that would be my prediction. Real estate could become very hot. I just don't know if people are going to be paying uh, at and above ask, or if they're going to be waiting to really chisel people down because of the uncertainty in the economy. So that's my prediction. So um, why don't we go ahead and we'll take a break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the comments. Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Counter Vultures Podcast. This is Peter Zaluski. I got John Gruss. I have Oscar Mustabai and I have John Feckler. Um, John, uh, John, why don't you go ahead and, and, and tell us about the comments? And by the way, if anybody wants to send us a comment, you want to say a goodbye to Oscar, you want to say uh, welcome to Jean, uh, you want to say, uh, you know, I'm good, John's bad, whatever the case may be, please send an email to uh, inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. John, what, what, what do we got? 
Yes, and I could add that some of our regular listeners are not shy. Um, <laughs> and that includes one we got to, uh, this week from Ilya, who's one of our regular listeners. Ilya, he's a, he's a habitual um, commenter. Sure. And he's usually going after Oscar, but he's going after me yes. this week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I timed my exit perfectly. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, Ilya says, uh, hi, John. Hope you are feeling better. Uh, drink more water and eat as much good carbs, uh, carb-packed food. Coffee is a counterproductive when you have a cold. Uh, people don't realize I had a bit of a cold, which I still seem to have. Um, Ilya made the comment that we seem to be talking over each other again. Uh, he noticed that uh, I didn't speak much, so he's wondering if anybody else was having technical difficulties. Um, um, John, that was l- last week. Uh, Oscar had a little bit of a delay in oh. his in, 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 in his internet feed. I think he was using oh. the same Mogadishu Somalia based uh, internet provider you used to use, John. <laughs> the, this week he seems to be fine. Yeah. Well, I thought his was uh, his server was in Ukraine, but um, okay. There you go. But um, so he was, uh, Ilya was a little perturbed. I, I missed one of his comments, so I'm going to go over that uh, the last time he, uh, he commented for us. And he was talking about the condo market from Miami Beach, uh, really, oh, or any great. other place for that matter. Yeah. Um, he brings up what is the point in the number percent difference for how much people want versus how much people paid? The difference is staggering, but it is, is there a meeting? Yes. If someone has a, a $1.2 million condo, he would not sell the same for 200,000. There are different sub markets within the same market. Condos can start as low as a hundred thousand, then mid range and then upper range and then luxury over 1 million. So his question is each market has its own flow and numbers. Is that correct? Okay. So, um, uh, Ilya, it's a good question, and I, and I try to explain it each and every time I do one of the condo market analysis. Anybody who isn't aware, every Monday I post a condo market analysis, effectively go in there, and it's, it's all about stats. I kind of explain the stats to you, talking about what's going on in the condo submarket located in Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County. Uh, this particular week, I'm focused on Sunny Isles Beach. Um, uh, Ilya's referring to a Miami Beach uh, overview that I did. Again, they come out on Mondays in these roundtables that we're doing right now. Our discussion, this comes out on Wednesday, and then on Friday, I do what's called a real estate players profile, where it's a one-on-one uh, discussion with somebody in the South Florida real estate uh, uh, world, if you will. So, so uh, one of the points we get into when we're talking, or when I'm talking about the statistics, is how much is the asking price on average of a condo in this market and what is the average transaction price? What's the average transaction price? So it's kind of like a bid ask, if you will. So it's giving you an idea of how far apart the seller is from where the deals are getting done. Now, why is that important? It's important on uh, two fronts. One, if you are an aggressive buyer and you want a deep discount and there's a big difference percentage-wise in terms of what the average ask is versus what units are trading for, that means a lot of sellers feel like they have gold and they're not going to unload it. They don't feel like they have to sell now, a market where you see a lot of activity, that difference between what the asking price is and what the units trade for, that tends to get into the 20% different range. So what I like to say is when, when, when the ask and the transaction price is 20% apart, you'll typically, uh, it's a market where there's going to be activity. Now, typically when the asking price over the average transaction price is about 8 to 12%, then you typically are going to have a deal go- going. So, so, so in other words, what I'm telling you, Ilya, what I'm telling the listener is that if you look at the difference between the asking price and the transaction price, 
If it is greater than 20%, chances are you might get a deal in that particular market, but it's going to take you longer. And if it's less than 20% difference, chances are you're going to be able to go in and get a deal very quickly. So depending on your timeline, uh, you know where you want to play if you need someplace ASAP or if you're simply chasing after price. And that's a situation where you lowball offers and you keep circling back every few months to, uh, you know, psychologically uh, uh, wear down the seller. So I don't know if I explained it. If not, I'll try to explain it again in my next counter market analysis that I do every Monday. Anything else, John? That's it. Wow. So, um, uh, Oscar, we yeah. want to have you regularly on this podcast when and if you're available. Hopefully, uh, you know, everything with Dude. the job goes well. Everything goes well with the family. Um, yeah, let's see. Yeah, all that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, you're one of the founders of this. So whenever and however uh, you want to be involved, we would love to have you. So, um, John, John, you guys want to add anything for Oscar? I have big, no, sho- I have big shoes to fill. <laughs> no, I think Oscar's wearing a size six. Yeah, man. I have like a Buster Brown shoes, guys. I wear Buster Browns. <laughs> all right, guys. I wish you luck. And I'll be back soon. Yeah, you Don't too. worry. Don't All right. We're going to miss you. Don't get lazy because Ilya's going to, he's going to jump on it. I know. Hey. Exactly. Hey, hey, Oscar, now I'm gonna... maybe you can actually listen to the podcast now and you can send in some comments. <laughs> That's true. Now there's an idea. That means I'm going to get shot from all over the place. Listen, I'm going to be the new Ilya. I'm going to be commenting. Yeah, that's all I need. Well, <laughs> I, Oscar, what would be great is to go ahead and write in a comment about Ilya's comment. There you go. <laughs> you know what you need? You need more birds. That's what you need. That's true. Yeah. That's... And more cowbell. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that is Oscar Musabai. Uh, Oscar, formerly with the um, uh, public relations marketing firm called Influence Communication. Uh, now he's on to new ventures, and I'm sure we'll be talking about sometime in the future. We also have John Fackler is a private consultant. We have Jean Gruce. He has a private, uh, has a uh, consulting and marketing firm called Gruce Communications. I'm Peter Zalewski. If you have not yet subscribed for our podcast, please go ahead and do so wherever you get your podcast. If you like what we're doing, give us a rating. If you want to provide a comment to us, send us an email, inquiry at condovultures.com. Until next time, ciao, ciao.